right, we are continuing the series Money Talks, and uh, in week one, for those of you that weren't here, we did talk about that the first lie that money tells us is I'm everything. I'm everything. It's all about me, and we've got to get past that lie and understand that when money speaks to us, it is speaking a lie that really God is everything, and we established that, that we are living for God, and we looked at uh, the rich man who had plenty and built bigger barns in Luke chapter 12, and if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. That's where we're going to go to, Luke chapter 12. We talked about this guy that said, I'm going to be rich towards me, not rich towards God, and Jesus said that man was a fool because he should have been rich toward God. That it's more, uh, life is more than just this life, there is eternal life. And we used a neat illustration. We talked about the dot and the line. That the dot represents our life here on earth, it's just a vapor, but the line represents eternity. And we're smart if we're living for the line. We're, we're foolish if we're only living for the dot because the line is so much longer. It's kind of a neat little illustration with the dot and the line. I had a couple of people saying, you know, Pastor Rob, you did so good with that dot and the line. Have you ever thought about being a weatherman? And I thought, you know, well, we got Minnesota right here and we got a little cold thing coming. You should go on vacation and get out. So how about that? I'm really good with my hands. I think I could do that, you know. But uh, anyways, all right, it's a little fun. But we talked about that. You're, you're smart to live for the line and not for the dot. And uh, some of you got that revelation that money's lying to you. It is not what it's all about in this world. God is. And so you get that revelation and then you're thinking, okay, God, how much uh, should I give and, and what should I do with my money to show that I'm living for you? Now, as you get that revelation and you look in the Bible, you'll start to see a word that is used, and it's the word tithe. T-I-T-H-E, tithe, and it means 10%. And you'll see that. It, it's, it's a big number. 10% is a big number when you think about it. If you're not giving anything to the Lord, all of a sudden you realize 10%, but it's also a very small number if you put it in context with what we're allowed to keep, and you think about that. But that 10% is a big enough number that it gets our attention. How many know that? It gets your attention. It's not like God's like, well, if you love me, you can get 1%, you get a little cash back at the end of the year, don't worry about it. It's not a big thing. He says 10% is a number that shows that I'm first. Now, I want you to know that when you look in the Bible, it's a biblical starting point. When people have had an encounter with God and they realize they're living for him, 10% becomes a biblical starting point. In Genesis 14, verse 20, it says, then Abram gave a tenth of everything, okay? So Abram has had an encounter with God. He's talking to Melchizedek, the priest, and all of a sudden he's realizing that God's first in my life, and he starts giving a tenth. We see in Genesis 28, Jacob says this. He says, and of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Jacob has had an encounter with God, and he's saying, if you're gonna be my God and you're gonna take care of me, all that I have, I'm gonna give you a tenth. Then we see when God gives the law in Leviticus, chapter 27, verse 30, it says, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. So we have in the law now, God is saying 10%, a tithe. And then Proverbs, chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, let me read this. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Now the word first fruits means the first 10%. That you're gonna do that first tithe before anything else. And he said, if you'll do this, God will take care of you. So we see this, that before the law, before the law was ever given, Abraham, Jacob, others were saying, hey, we're gonna give 10%. We understand this. Then the law was given and the law said to do this tithe. 
And then we see in the New Testament, Jesus saying, hey, it's good that you're doing the tithe, but don't forget these other things that are important too. Love is very important. Don't just think just because you tithe, you don't have to love. And so we see uh, just an endorsement of tithing being done. Now, as I preach this today, I want to let you know this. It's a joy for me to preach this because I live it and I've lived it my whole life. And I can tell you this, it's easy to preach today for a couple of reasons. First one is this. River Valley Church is doing great financially. You may not know this, but our our elders have done our budgeting in such a way that we project what we believe God is going to bring in in the next year, and then we budget 90%, and we have a 10% buffer in there. Last year, we did that, and instead of our giving going up what we thought, it actually went up 23%, so we had even more of a buffer. So I want to let you know that right now, River Valley has two months' income in reserve right now. Two months. Now, that's good stewardship, that's good management, and that's a great place to be. Now, we're not going to just keep going, let's go for four months and eight months. No, we're not just a place to stockpile. We have good stewardship, and as the money comes in, we invest and go and take advantage of other opportunities that God brings to us. But it's not from a position of weakness. It's not like, oh, Pastor Rob's preaching on tithing, and, you know, we got to help the church, save the church, you know. No, <laughs> we're in strong position. That's a good thing. So I'm preaching this today. So you will break free from the lies that money speaks to you and live the life that God wants you to live. I've been so blessed from honoring God with a tithe and going above that. Others in the church would testify to that same thing. We have been so blessed and we're preaching this so that you can get in on this blessing and can say, God, you're number one and I'm gonna honor you with my finances. Now, as soon as you say, God, you're number one and you hear 10%, you hear tithe, the enemy changes to a new lie. It's a new lie. And every lie that money speaks to you at this point forward is a lie based in fear. The enemy will speak fear and money will say, you can't do it. You can't do it. I'm gonna expose the various ways that the enemy says that lie in so many different ways. But the enemy says, you can't do it. You can't do it. And at the bottom line of it, money is saying, you can't trust God. You can't trust God. If you give him that tithe or if you go above and beyond that, you can't trust him. He, he can't take care of you. So I want to expose some of those lies. And Jesus just exposed that right after he's talking about this rich guy building the barns and not being rich towards God. And he tells his disciples, you need to be rich toward God because God's number one in your life. It's as if Jesus can right there in that moment realize what the enemy is doing and attacking them with fear. So we pick up the story in Luke chapter 12, verse 22. So he's just getting done in verse 21 saying, let's be rich towards God. And then in 22, then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body is more than clothes. Get that. I mean, right away he's like, okay, don't be worried. Don't be worried because the enemy's attacking you as you put God first. He said, consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. 
but seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So we're gonna expose this because Jesus understood that as soon as you say, I'm not living for money, I'm living for God, I'm gonna start giving to God, I'm gonna tithe, I'm gonna do this, the attack of the enemy is fear. And Jesus knew that, so he's telling his disciples that. And so I wanna help you to understand this. These are the lies that the enemy will speak to you in fear. The first lie will be this. Well, don't give God the tithe first. Give him whatever's left over at the end of the month. Because you wanna honor God, but just give him what's left over at the end of the month. How many know that Visa, MasterCard, American Express, Nordstrom, Target have almost guaranteed there'll be nothing left at the end of the month, right? But that's what the enemy says. He says, you know, uh, I don't know if you can trust God, so let's do this. Let's just see if there's 10% left at the end of the month, and then we'll do that. But see, here's the thing. The Bible tells us to do it first. Like Proverbs said, do the first fruits. And we talked about this in a series a couple years ago with Robert Morris. And he talked about what we give to is blessed. Matter of fact, next week, Robert Morris and I and our campus pastors are gonna tag team the sermon, all right? But he talked about, Whatever we give to first has the ability to bless. Now, catch this. The reason we give God the first tenth is because we're saying, God, I trust you. The first tenth is yours, and it belongs to you, and it's holy. And matter of fact, whoever we give the first tenth to is the one that we're saying is in charge of our life, the one that we're saying we want to bless every other area of our life. And so it's a step of faith. And you say, God, you get the first, not the last. But the enemy comes to the lie and says, you can't trust. Give him the end. We have to give God the first tenth. Now, we've taught this so much to our, our children that Connor and Logan, they've just got it so clear. They're like, all right, you know, we're going to give God the first. We're going to seek him first and then have all the other things added. He gets the first tenth. The other day on Friday night, uh, Logan got paid for babysitting. And he came up to me and he said, hey, I got a question for you. He said, you know, I, I, you know, I got paid tonight. I'm going, you know, to church tomorrow night, but I want to spend some money between the night and tomorrow, and I want God to bless it, so I can't get to church until that. What am I supposed to do? You know? <laughs> I said, well, here's what you do. You take your tithe, put it in an envelope, write tithe, and set it aside, and then you go out and spend the rest of the money. You know, you can do what you want with that. And he's like, oh, thank you. That's good. I think he, I think he had a date. You know, he just wanted everything to be blessed. You know what I'm saying? So it's good. But he gets it. He gets it because he understands the principle. Whoever I give that first tenth to is in charge of my life and I'm letting them bless everything else. That's why uh, Malachi 3.10, it says this, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. God's saying, bring it to me first and watch what I'll do. But the enemy says, bring it to him last. Bring it to him last. And we've got to overcome that lie because that's fear. Another thing that's very similar, and these are all very similar lies, but the enemy will say, you can't afford to tithe. You cannot afford to tithe. You will starve to death. You, you know, if you do this, you will not make it. And that's a very real fear. I talked to one guy in our church and uh, he said that his wife was like, hey, we need to tithe. We need to tithe. Let's do this. We heard the message. Let's go. And he said, honey, if we do that, we will have no money for groceries. 
He said, we will not be able to eat this week. She said, we need to tithe. We need to obey God. Let's do this. Let's honor God. And so when he wrote the tithe check, he put in the offering. He goes, he looks at her. He goes, we're not going to eat this week. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, let's just trust God. So he goes to work. Very next day, walks in. They said, hey, we want to talk to you real quick. Hey, just want to let you know you've been doing a great job. We want to give you a 10% raise. He's like, are you kidding me? God's like, you'll eat. You'll eat. You can trust God, but the enemy will say, you can't do it. You can't afford to tithe. You, you, you know, you just can't do that. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. I believe that one of the greatest examples I've seen of this is the poorest of the poor are tithing right now. The poorest of the poor. I was just recently in Cuba. And while I was there, I, I was going around from church to church and I was talking to these people and encouraging them. And I met this wonderful couple, Pastor Joel and Marta of Mount Zion Church. Go ahead and throw their picture up on the screen there. I met them there and I started talking to them about their church. They had a little church in a small town. It was just a neat time to spend with them. And I asked them a question. I said, you know, how many people in the church on a weekend? They said, there's about 30 some people on the weekend. And they said that, uh, you know, that's with kids and everything. And they said, we have 17 members and we have 21 tithers. And I said, wait, hold on, wait, wait, wait. You have 17 members and you have 21 tithers? I, I just, help me out with that for just a second. They said, oh, well, in Cuba, when you give your life to Jesus Christ and you want to become a member of the church, you have to show a consistent tithe record for one year before you can become a member. So we actually have more tithers than we have members. And I said, well, wait, how, how, people in Cuba make how much? And he said, they make $15 a month. They get five eggs per person. They make $15 a month. Now, get this. These are the people that were begging me for, their, for my shampoo from my hotel room. These are people that would walk up to me on the street and go, hey, do you have your toiletries from your hotel? Can I get them from you? Because I don't have any shampoo. Okay, so that's how poor they are. But then when it comes to tithing, they're obeying God. They have more people tithing than they have members. So as I'm talking to Pastor Joel, he could see that I'm shocked by this. And so he says, well, isn't that what it's like in America? I said, no, not, not exactly. He said, well, what, what percentage of people tithe in America? I said, well, a really good church would have about 40% of the people tithing. <gasps> he just looked at me. He said, are you kidding me? You mean the richest of the rich? The country we all want to go to that has everything? 40%? Are you, don't ever let that get to Cuba. Don't ever let that get. Don't ruin what God's doing in the church in Cuba. Because those who are poor that make $15 that are tithing $1.50 are more obedient than those people that are in the richest 1% of the world. Think about that for a minute. If you make more than $50,000 a year, you are in the richest 1% of the world. And the enemy says another lie. If you had more, you would tithe. That is a lie. You need to start tithing right now where you're at. If the people can tithe on $15, how can we say, God, I can't tithe on 50 or 80 or 100 or more than that? We are the richest of the richest and God is calling us to be obedient in the tithe. And it's a lie that says, if you were rich, then you would tithe because it's harder for rich people to start tithing because they look at that number and they choke. I'm like, wow, that's a lot of money. And it's better for us to start right where we're at. And can I tell you this? The strength of our church is just tons of people that give between $4,000 and $15,000 a year that are obeying the Lord in tithe. 
That's where our strength is. It's people that are saying, hey, I'm in. The average in the state of Minnesota is about $58,000 household income. In this area where our campus here is in Apple Valley, it's about $74,000 income average. And that's the strength of our church where people are being obedient instead of saying, if I was rich, if I was rich, then I'd do that. In 1 Corinthians 16.2, Paul says this, on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. Each one of you, did you catch that? It's not like, well, the one percenters need to pay it or the rich people or somebody else needs to do it. Each one of us needs to do this. Now, here's another lie that the enemy will say because you're thinking like, oh, that's a lot of money. I'm trying to figure this out. And so the enemy will come with fear and give you another lie. He's so good at this. He'll say, well, you're serving. That counts. You know, I mean, you're serving. And after all, I mean, you bill out at like $400 an hour. So if you serve two hours in the nursery, that's like $800. You're covered for the month. You're good to go. You know, some of you have heard that lie. But, and it's right, we should get involved, we should serve, but that doesn't negate us from being obedient in the area of giving. It's not like because I am obedient in one area, I get to be disobedient in the other. Now, you may diet that way, but that's not the way you follow God, all right? Okay, we follow God and we say, I will serve and I will give. Now, here's another lie. Again, it's fear-based. Okay, 10 is a lot, that's a lot of money. You know what we should do? You know, I know what we should do. We should just give 3%. Let's just ease our way into the tithe. It's kind of like going into a pool, like one foot and then another foot and get a little deeper. You know, That's what the enemy says. It's fear-based, okay? But here's the problem. There is no blessing at 3%. There's no blessing at 3%. The blessing is at 10 when you're honoring God and all of a sudden you go above and beyond that. And he's like, now I got you. I know, I know where your heart is. Now I'm gonna bless you. But so the enemy says, all right, I'm gonna just ease you in. Just ease your way in. Three, three is good. Matter of fact, five, go halfway. Because the enemy knows that if you go halfway, there's no blessing. And then you're gonna get discouraged. And then as you get discouraged, then you're gonna be like, well, I give up on God. He wasn't faithful. I was tithing. No, you weren't. It was 5%. And be very cautious if you say, well, I'm a tither at three, four, five, six, eight. It, it, it's tithe is 10, okay? So that's what the enemy does. He tries to get you to just go part way in. And remember, we're not looking for ways to get out of this. We're looking for ways to get into this and say, God, I want in on what you want to do. You're first. I'm not living for money, and I'm going to give you enough to show that I honor you and I bless you. We were, we were just joking around one day and we were like trying to figure out how to get more people to go to Saturday night service and how many you go to Burnsville because we have seats available at, at Burnsville and of course we have a lot of room on Saturday night. We're kind of like, hey, what are some ideas to get people to go there? And somebody said, well, they could tithe 8%. And I was like, wrong idea, wrong, <laughs> wrong idea, wrong idea. We're not gonna, you want in on the blessing, in. Now, while I'm on that real quick, people will say, well, it should be grosser or net. You know, and I say, give God the, the biggest bite, 10%. The gross, give it all right there. Say, God, you get 10% of the gross because that's what I make. And, and somebody said to me, why would you tell the government you make 50 and tell God you made 40? You know, think about that. Why would you tell the government, here's what I make and then let them take their bite and then tell God, now this is all I made. No, I'm gonna say, God, this is what I made and here's the bite. You get it and I am gonna bless you. And one other thing, to those that are self-employed, be very careful with this. Your heart should be, I wanna get in on the blessing, not like I need deductions out of the blessing. Because if you're self-employed, it's really easy for you to say, man, I had a net loss this year. Church owes me money, you know, they better pay up, you know. (laughs) 
Yeah, I had two cars and a house and a cabin and an expense fund. You bought new clothes, you ate and did all that. But because you wrote it off because you're self-employed, don't be tricked into thinking that you didn't have an income. You did. And you got to say, God, what did I get? How can I bless you? You're my source. It's not me. And I won't write this off. Now, here's a, a crazy lie that is, again, based in fear, but it's cloaked in, like, noble, you know, goodness, okay? And it's this. You're under grace, you're a New Testament giver. You don't have to worry about that tithe thing because you're under grace. And I believe that we should be New Testament givers, but that's being used as a lie for people to live at a much lower level. People that usually quote that to me give about 3%. And it's interesting to think that the law called for 10, pre-law called for 10, and out of their heart they gave that. But now we're in grace, and we know way more about God, and somehow knowing more about God, we're going to give less. Doesn't make any sense. If you look in the Bible, every time there was a law, Jesus went higher than that. Don't commit adultery. Jesus says, don't look lustfully. The law said, uh, don't kill. Jesus said, don't be angry. He raised it up. So I believe New Testament giving should go up from there. And you're absolutely right. We are in the New Testament, but we should go beyond what the Old Testament started with. Now, I want to address this for just a second because it is a, a, a it's a tough spot for me. I, I really am bothered by this because I see the younger generation with almost a, a little air of superiority and they're like, hey, I'm a grace giver. I'm gonna give what I feel. I'm gonna give what I want. And I know that it usually means they give less. And so one day I was uh, a little bothered by this and I wrote this down and I felt permission to read it. Um, and it talked about, oh, you're a New Testament giver. And I understand that there's about 40% of our church that tithes. There's 30% that's living in fear right now because you just heard this for the first time. Matter of fact, at an earlier service, we had a lady come up with her first tithe check and she was crying. She's like, I'm being obedient, I'm doing this. Okay, so I understand it. Can we do this? Tithers right now, will you agree with me in prayer and just commit for this week to pray against fear for that 30%? Just right now, if you're a tither, you're gonna agree that we're gonna pray for those. But there's 30% that has a little arrogance to them and this is who this is written to. I'm a New Testament giver. Oh, really? Which kind? What do you mean, which kind? I mean, do you really want to give like a New Testament believer and New Testament examples? Or are you going to pick out 2 Corinthians 9, 7 and say what you've only given is what you've determined in your heart? Because if you mean a New Testament giver, let's be clear, it's way more than 10%. In the New Testament, Jesus said to the rich young ruler, sell all that you have and follow me. Zacchaeus paid back four times what he had stolen and gave away half of his wealth. Jesus' disciples gave everything away and were told to sell all and take nothing with them. The Sermon on the Mount says to give to him that asks you. So if your pastor asks you to give your retirement account to the building program, will you give it? You were asked, that's in the New Testament. Do you lay everything at the apostles' feet and let them distribute it? Do you share everything you have with all and have everything in common? That's in the New Testament. Do you make sure that the people pay the church, pay the pastor's salary and bless him with double honor? That's in there. Do you always on the first day of the week put money aside for the saints so the church doesn't have to even ask you? That's in the New Testament. Do you beg for the opportunity to give to those in need and even in extreme poverty, model a life of overflowing generosity? That, my friend, is New Testament giving. Or do you mean, once again, as a New Testament giver, you take 2 Corinthians 9, 7, isolate it, take it out of context, and say you can give whatever your heart says. Oh, I get it. 
you're a New Testament giver, all right. You're a 2 Timothy 3.2 giver, a lover of yourself and a lover of your money. Let's catch the heart of New Testament giving, and that's this, to give even more than the Old Testament, to give and give generously, to see yourself on this earth as a giver to fuel the mission, keep less, give more, give extremely generous gifts, go over and above the law, and be a true New Testament giver. Some people needed to receive that and hear that. Now, I understand. I understand it doesn't apply to everybody, but let me be very clear. As a New Testament giver, the Old Testament was training wheels, and everything we see there, we can go over and above. And for some of us, that is scary, and we are committed to praying for you. But if there's an arrogance, I'm New Testament, let it go above the law. Let it go greater than that. I'll tell you this, uh, we are so excited about giving above 10%, Beck and I. We just did our taxes this year, and our accountant called and said, here's how much you owe the government, blah, 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 and here's the deal. And they said, hey, I've I, I got to tell you something. And we said, what? He goes, yeah, it's kind of bad news. I said, what's that? He said, well, you know, you're probably going to get audited. He goes, I'm just going to tell you. He goes, like, you gave, like, so much. He goes, the percentage is so out of whack. He's like, you're, you're, you know, the government's going to see that. They're not going to believe it. And he goes, you're going to get audited. So just make sure you're ready. Get all your seats ready. He goes, because you're just going to get audited, you know. And so he's telling me this. And I'm thinking, like, well, I don't want to get audited. But that's kind of like a badge of honor. Like, we're given so much. And we're so contrary to the world that the world saw that and thought, there's no way you could be living like that. And so we got audited. And so I thought, it's kind of like a badge of honor. But again, I don't want to be audited. Okay, just be very clear. But think about that. If you're living so contrary to the world that the IRS says, seriously, seriously, and you tell them, I'm a New Testament giver. I'm going above and beyond the tithe. I'm going to give and give and look for more opportunities to give. That is a New Testament giver. So how do we overcome fear and why is it so important? Give me just a few minutes as we close out. The Apostle Paul gave us a way for us to do this in 1 Corinthians 16 too. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so when I come, no collections will have to be made. Realistically, when we look at this, it should be planned. It's on the first day. When you get paid, you are planning to do this. It's the first thing you're doing. It should be systematic where you figure it out. What percentage are you doing? You're starting with that Old Testament minimum and going from there. Becca and I have a percentage that's way beyond that and we figure it out. We write that check and we get it in or we do it online. It should be practical, and it should be something that is planned, systematic, and practical, that you bring it to the storehouse. And I believe in the modern-day world, the storehouse is the local church, and you bring it to the church, and the elders and the deacons, and they manage it, and they lead it, and then we will have more money. Think about it. If we had everyone doing this, we'd have more money. We'd have benevolence things and all these. I mean, just we'd have more money than we'd know what to do with, and the church would be the powerhouse of the world instead of many places begging to stay alive. It's something that we can do. And then the other thing is, why is this so important? In Luke 12, 32, that one verse that was there, I want to tear it apart for just a minute. It says, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. We are insulting God when we live in fear and we don't honor him. And this scripture gives us a couple insights into how we honor God. First of all, it says, do not be afraid, little flock. And can I tell you this? That scripture means God is your shepherd and he's taking care of you. And if you love this 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
When you honor God with that tithe and when you honor God with New Testament giving and you go above and beyond that, man, you're saying you're my shepherd and I know you've got me. I know you're taking care of me because you're watching me. You're the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then he says, do not be afraid little flock for your father, your father, he's your father. He's your heavenly father. And some of you may not have had a good earthly father and you need to get counseling to break free from those things that were in your mind. But I had an amazing father. I wish you all could have known him. He was amazing. And I can tell you this, that this scripture just jumps out to me because I never had to worry if my dad would have food on the table. I never had to worry if we were gonna make it. My dad took care of the needs around the house and made sure we were okay. And so when I read this, I realize my heavenly father, I can jump into his arms. I can trust him. If I honor him with the tithe and go beyond that, he's my father. I can trust him. I don't wanna insult my father. He's first and he will take care of me. But there's more. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. He's the king. He's the king. We did a whole series on this. He is the king of kings and lord of lords, and that's who we're trusting to take care of us. I remember when I was walking around the Hermitage in Russia for Peter the Great. This was his, his castle. I thought, this is amazing. And I walked through Versailles in France and saw that palace. Amazing, and the wealth that was there. And the thing that kept going over and over in my mind was, he is king of kings and lord of lords. This is nothing compared to what he has. Let's not insult the king. He's the king over everything. He's created it all. He will take care of us. He's our shepherd. He's our father. He's our king. We can trust him. And one more thing. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. He is happy to bless you. He is happy to bless you as you say, I'm not living for money, I'm living for God. God, you're first. I honor you with this wealth and I do this and I bless you. God says, you know what? I will take care of you. I will bless you. I'm pleased to bless you. And I got this driven home the other day. We were sitting in the living room and my car was empty and I thought I need to get gas. So I'm looking at the family. I said, who else has an empty car right now? And you know, we're a four-car family because I have one, Beck has one, Connor's at college, and, and Logan has a car. And I said, it's my car, you drive it because I don't want to drive you everywhere. How many know what I'm talking about, right? I said, uh, I said, is anybody else empty with gas? Oh, yeah, they were all empty. I said, let's go to the gas station. And so I'm filling everybody's car, and I'm handing the car to each of them. And as they're filling their car with gas, I, my heart is overflowing with joy. And I'm looking at my boys, and I'm like, I love you, Connor. I love you, Logan. You are so amazing. You bring me so much joy. And I'm so glad you're godly, and you're so honorable. And I love filling your car with gas. It was a great feeling. Doesn't happen every day, but it was that day. It was feeling. <laughs> and in that moment, God spoke to me. He goes, that's how I feel. That's how I feel. When I see you honor me and blessing me and putting me first, and I see you trusting me as shepherd and father and king, man, it delights me to bless you. It delights me to bless you. It delights me to fill your tank. It delights me to bless you in ways that you had no idea I could bless you. Man, let's trust God. Money lies to us and God speaks the truth. And I pray that we'll break free from the lie of fear and trust God in this area. So Lord, I pray right now that you'd help us to realize that you speak the truth and money speaks lies. We are not gonna live for money, we're gonna live for you. We're not gonna live for the dot, we're gonna live for the line. And as we do that, and as we hear a message like this, that we understand that it requires a larger portion than we might have thought, and we can go from there, God, we are not gonna be bound by fear, but we're gonna live in faith. 
And we're going to realize you're our shepherd, our father, and our king, and it delights you to bless us. And so we're going to serve you faithfully, and we're going to honor you in this way. We would rather trust you and give to you first and say, God, take care of the rest than trust in our own selves and live in fear. So God, we thank you for this. And I pray and commit to pray for those that are in that fear moment that are saying, now I'm gonna step out and do this. God, I pray that you'd honor their faith and they'd break free of fear. And again, I ask that the tithers would just grab hold of this and pray for those that are living in fear that they would not be overcome with fear, but they'd be overcome with faith, trusting you in the same way that we have. So we thank you for this. We thank you for this. I pray blessing upon the finances of this church upon the personal finances of each individual here. And I pray as we honor you, God, that you would be pleased and delighted to bless us in ways we never could imagine. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen.